0: This is Dangerous Vision, a production of the Massachusetts Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired.
1: Every time I think things are just getting so good, then something else comes along that just blows me away.
0: Kim Charlson is not only the executive director of Perkins Library.
1: ACB.
0: The first woman president of the American Council of the Blind. NFB. Who covers which parts of the waterfront? Even her passion takes on an air of advocacy.
1: Lady Anne enters with a priest. I love the theater. Two servants carry a covered stretcher with the. So rem- one of my passions was audio description.
0: Welcome to the Dangerous Vision podcast. Our guest today is Kim Charlson. Kim, thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. Thank you, Randy. So, speaking as a blind person, I've retinitis pigmentosa, so it gets worse every year, and so I can still see a tiny bit. Why don't you tell us where you stand on that? Just so So, people know where
1: um, you're coming from. As of now, um, and I'm 62 years old, so I'll tell you that I uh, (laughs) I am totally blind. I have no light perception any longer, but I was born sighted, um, and I. somehow uh, obtained juvenile glaucoma started having all the Mm -hmm. operations and things like that to try to you know save my vision and it was very gradual so i went through my teenage years having you know functional vision um but it was decreasing and declining and um you know Mm -hmm. could could see some but not well enough to see print and then pretty much lost most of my sight by the time I was about 25 years old. Like mm-hmm. used to be able to see like a red car driving in front of me. And then one day I realized, <laughs> I, you know, I,
0: I, I can hear him, but I can't I can, see him. <laughs>
1: I, so I'm not noticing him anymore. It's just really gradual. So glaucoma really is the sneak thief. It just steals your vision away. And is such a very gradual thing. It just slowly happens.
0: So here's my question for you, speaking as a blind, even though I'm blind, ACB AFB nFB what are all these th- like who who's who covers which parts of the waterfront at the minimum tell us all about um ACB which you are what are you President, what's your title? Just so so we know where we're.
1: Yes, I am. I am president of um, the American Council of the Blind, right, and so, have so been. At minimum,
0: tell us about that, and at maximum, fill me in on all the other guys. And by the way, feel free to make fun of them and mock them because then they
1: will feel like they have to come on the podcast to respond, and then I'll get everybody. Well, then you'll definitely want to have other folks on. So, <laughs> so I um, I've been president of the American Council of the Blind for the last six years. And my term is about to end because um, ACB has term limits, mm-hmm. and so they don't. I'm allowed to have, or uh, anyone in the office of president is allowed to have, up to three two-year terms. Oh, I see. Um, okay. So, you, so then, I, I was gonna I was going to
0: make a joke about you know running again, and uh, so the, <laughs> but the point is you, you you've run several times, and now and now now it's uh, time's up. Okay, gotcha.
1: You know, a lot of your listeners may know that there are two major blindness consumer organizations, the National Federation of the Blind and the American Council of the Blind. So the National Federation of the Blind was founded first in 1940, and the American Council of the Blind was um, a splinter organization from NFB founded wow. in 1961. A and schism. It, and exactly, <laughs> and it was it was founded um, by a, a group of about 200 or so um, members of the national federation of the blind who felt that that, the democratic principles and transparency of the organization were not being um you know followed through with and so they left the organization and they formed acb and that happened Mm -hmm. in 1961 and you know from 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 then on, there's been a lot of descriptions about, well, what's the difference? Why do we have two organizations? And you know i've I've just always said, well, you know there's there's room in our in our world for for two opinions or more mm-hmm. than one opinion. Um, and we have it in our politics every day. We have Democrats, we have Republicans. we have, you know more than one of just about everything
0: and And are, are you guys the Democrats or the Republicans?
1: well, I'd like to say that. <laughs> I think we're the Democrats, but so,
0: um, but, but but uh, overall. Joking aside, joking (laughs) aside, if an outsider who really knew these organizations were to say, look, obviously, you know, like, like the history is the history, but as of now, one of these organizations tends to care more about X and the other more about Y, or one of these organizations tends to, tends to, um, you know, fight in this direction on such and such. Like, is there a particular issue or type of issue or set of issues that where, where there tends to be, or is it just like you guys are both fighting for the same things using more or less the same principles and and methods. And it's just great to
1: have uh, uh, two, two groups uh, uh, out there, out there battling for, for, for. Yeah. Well, you know back in the 70s and 80s and into the 90s i think that you would have seen more differentiation between nfb and acb mm-hmm. for the kinds of things that nfb was fighting for at those times things like mm-hmm. for blind people to have the right to take their white cane on the airplane you know the ah. the, the stick the full stick sure. white cane not the one that folds up but the full the full length cane Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to keep it with you or to sit in an exit row on the airplane, that blind mm-hmm. people should be able to do that. Those were a couple of the things that that they were keen on in, in back in in the day. Um, and, you know, ACB has been really strong on areas like audio description for television. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes NFB would say, well, you know, I think employment's more important than audio description for television, Mm -hmm. Um, That was back then. I don't I don't find that they say that now. I mean, we're all working on employment these days. You know, it's it's always been the issue that that blind people face. That's the hardest to to tackle, because, you know, when I was in college, they said that there was a 70 percent plus unemployment rate of people who are blind. And you know what they say today there's a 70% to 75% unemployment rate. I quote that stat all the time, and then people say, but is
0: that just because almost all the blind people are old? And then I don't know. So can, I, can you confirm to me that it's 75% of, say, under 65 blind people, or, is, or could this be an artifact of the fact that you know, people lose their sight as they're older, macular degeneration, et cetera, and so you know, most blind people don't work because they're more or less retired?
1: I think you're starting to touch on there's so many factors involved in coming up with what is the real number that that I'm I'm pretty convinced that 70% is not the real number but because there are so many people in the blindness population who are over 65 who have no intention of working never wanted to work probably so you, you bump those people out of the equation right now. They're they not going to be working. And then you take the, the people who are under the work age. They're children. They're not going to be working, so they shouldn't be counted. But then you also have people who are of a working age but may have medical conditions that prevent them from working. Um, and then, then you start to factor in, okay, then who is working and who isn't working? Are they working part-time, full-time? And the numbers are just, you can get different numbers depending on, you know, which foot you're standing on, I think. But we know the obvious things that you're not going to, a blind person isn't going to be doing. But I think that, um sometimes the, the, the challenging ones where I think there are opportunities and you're, and you're starting to see some blind and low vision folks going into some of the, what I call the, the trades, mm-hmm. um, where people, you know, need somebody to come and, and fix their air conditioners and, and those kind of things, you know, the, mm-hmm. the market skills, those, those are areas where, um, you know, the, our society overall needs people to go into those areas. the The places where I've seen a lot of success with with employment is in the customer service area. Mm-hmm. Um, blind people have have been quite good at customer service work, um, which is not telemarketing, but phone work and computer mm-hmm. work that involves, you know doing something, solving problems, you know, helping people over the phone get what they want, ordering products, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um so that's a that's an area where where there's I think some some good opportunity and um I work at Perkins, Perkins School for the Blind. Mm-hmm. I'm a senior manager here at Perkins, one of the the top managers here. I run the Braille and Talking Book Library, which is um one of the divisions at Perkins which is the um, accessible public library service for people in Massachusetts who are unable to read regular print because of their visual or physical disability, where they can't see to read print or they can't hold a book or turn the pages mm-hmm. because of a physical disability or a reading disability. So we provide public library services to about 25,000 people in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. So, you know, my job is administrative. It's library science. I was one of the first um, totally blind people to get a library science degree. Mm -hmm. Um, When I got my degree um, in 1985, um, computers were just coming into the library. We were throwing away card catalogs, we were modernizing the library. It was becoming all computers. It was the right time for a blind person to to become a librarian and to go into that field. And I wanted to do it because there was no one who was blind who was actually running a library, providing services to people who are blind or had other disabilities. And I wanted to be able to do that because I wanted to be able to guide and direct the services for people with disabilities in the direction that I I knew would be the direction that people needed to have excellent services. Mm. And I've really had that opportunity since um, I started working at Perkins in 1985. I've been here almost 35 years working as the assistant director for 16 years and since 2001 I've been the director of the library service. So wait, so
0: you have two full-time jobs? Is that the such because that would pull up the statistics if we count them both in the in the numerator the percentage. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Only one, but it feels like two most of the time. <laughs> I'm just saying between that, that,
0: because you've got the the presidency of, um, yes. of ACV, yes. Yeah, so yes,
1: I do. I do have that, and that's obviously that's a volunteer job, but it kicks in just about all the rest of the time that yeah. I've got. So it keeps me pretty busy between the two of them. So that's for sure.
0: Now you won you won this uh, big prize from the from the library association. I I, I I understand that 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 prize normally goes to the person who's best at shushing, but in your case um no I, I i i love librarians and i i uh, I, I should resist any any temptation to make <laughs> jokes. can you tell us can you tell us about the award?
1: sure so um <laughs> it's the uh it's the francis joseph campbell award mm-hmm. and it's um it's awarded by the um, american library association um, And the, a so that, thats the same group. When I see
0: ALA book lists all the time, like on yes. the book reviews and all, that's that's the yeah, same group, that's right? right?
1: All right, that's so right. All the—it's <laughs> a big voice. It's the yeah. the leading organization for librarians in the country.
0: But there's nothing the same. There's nothing like a book, you know. And and um and the articles I was able to read by you know copying and pasting into into you know Kurzweil or other screen reading technology and so forth. um, Uh, but you know, I, I just didn't read any books for the longest time. And, uh, and then I, I found out about Bookshare and I've read, I don't know, you know, I probably read, uh, I don't even know, I guess about three books a week probably, 150 books uh, a year over the last so probably 1,000 books I've now read on Bookshare. It's, it's just been an absolutely yes. life-changing experience. And what amazes me is if you don't count people who are you know professionally involved in the world of blindness like you or, or like you know David, our producer or whatever, I, I, I'm pretty sure I've not met a single person who's ever heard of Bookshare. Uh, everybody it, it I need. It is a
1: well-kept secret it's, and it's, it's unfortunate.
0: It's incredible. And I'll talk to people, you know, and of course when you're blind, people notice and they'll be like, oh yeah, my father's lost his sight. And so they'll be like, does he know about Bookshare? It's literally the first thing I say. And the answer is always no. And then I'm like, okay, this is what you need to do. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you have to, this is just an absolute game changer. So, so I want to talk about that. So first of all, kudos to you and all the other people who have, have worked to make it possible uh, for people, whether it's through this international stuff, whether it's through Bookshare, through other things, uh, to to make this stuff available because that was an extraordinary and amazingly powerful achievement. and now i it feels like we're on to stage two, which is letting everybody know it's
1: it's never for me been you know it's only braille, it's only large brand, it's only audio. It's all of them because you know you've never always been able to get everything you want in the medium you want. you have to capture it and grab it in whatever format you can get it in. Sometimes it's braille, sometimes it's audio. And now that we have electronic, that's also a whole other option for us to get information and then read it with um, text-to-speech. So there's so many choices these days, and there's really – there shouldn't be that many situations where someone says I couldn't get something because it wasn't accessible. I mean, we have a reference librarian on staff here at the library. Her job is to find articles for people, you know, when they need information, just like a reference librarian would do in your public library. And then what we do is we make that information accessible through your computer and email or Braille or large print or however you need it so that you can take full advantage of reading the article The full text of an article that you needed on a particular subject. So that's, you know, that again is the kind of library services that I envisioned should be available to people who are blind or visually impaired.
0: That makes sense. So so let me ask you this. I mean, I'm never going to have a better opportunity to find out about stuff that's out there that I don't know about. So I'll just say what I, you know, I know about Bookshare. I use it. I use it constantly. And I uh, and I recently learned, and I didn't know about Bookshare until years after it came out. I, I cry when I think of the years of, uh, of uh, enjoyable reading I missed out on. Um, and uh, so then, and then I recently in the last few years learned about a learning ally, mm-hmm. uh, I guess. Right. And, and uh, so, why don't you tell any, anything you want to kind of educate the world about, um, look, we don't know how many people are going to be listening to this podcast, but, uh, but I feel like for every person who hears it, you know, it'll, they'll tell two people and they'll tell two people. So if there are tools out there that, that people should know about for, for reading, uh, anything that might be, um, a just for, for reading for pleasure. Also anything you want to tell people about that's great for sort of educational reading or, or whatever. Uh, sure.
1: Well, you mentioned learning ally and that's a great resource for for um, textbooks for all ages of students, um, and they're audio textbooks, um, human-narrated primarily, um, narrated by volunteers, and downloadable, and that is a a fee-for-service program like Bookshare as well. Um, So another service that we make available through the library is Newsline, and Newsline is a contract service that we contract with through the National Federation of the Blind. And it's a um, it's a text-to-speech, um, primarily newspaper-based access program. Um, you can also do it online now. But it started out as a telephone-based newspaper service where you could call up a, a phone number. Oh, neat. And listen to mm-hmm. newspapers over the telephone like the Boston Globe or the Herald or USA Today or the Washington Post or the New York Times um, over the phone. And then it became available online so you could read the articles online, cleaned up from all the ads and all the extraneous information online. You don't have to go through any of the the, the junk that's there if you went to the, the main website it's, it's much easier to use, and it can also be used by people who are deafblind and have a refreshable Braille device. So wow. there's over 450 newspapers from all across the country that are available every single day, um, about f- um, 50 to 75 magazines Um each month, every time I think things are just getting so good, then something else comes along that just blows me away. The thing that that really, um, I, I guess, the service right now that 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 I'm just so excited about, and it isn't strictly reading books kind of service, but it is an information service that you may have talked about is is called Ira. Yeah, let's um, talk about
0: let's talk about Ira. Yeah.
1: For a and Ira goes a little bit in a different direction ira is using um, iphone technology and an app to and to connect you using the camera in your iphone or smartphone um, and connecting you to a live agent who can then see through your camera and can tell you information and that could be anything from you know the color of your socks if you were sorting your socks to the expiration date on the milk in your hand um, that you just took out of the refrigerator, to um, the, the reading of your children's homework assignment or the note that just came home from their teacher saying that they're the best child in the whole class or the worst child in the whole class, depending. Um, I mean, anything. Uh, I used Ira today. Um, to, to get an Uber in downtown Boston. And sometimes it can be a little hard to get an Uber on a busy street in downtown Boston because there's lots of them going by and you don't know which one's yours and they don't know who you are. So the IRA agent was able to see, she placed my request through her dashboard. She tracked the driver. Um, she saw the driver coming toward me. And then the driver called me and I said where I was. And then she said, he's, he's right in front of you. And then he pulled up and rolled down his window and he said, are you Kim? And I said, yes. And it was like the smoothest transaction I think I've ever had. I mean, it was just like seamless. I, I stepped out, opened the door, got in and off we went and no, no stress, no fuss, no muss. It was fantastic. So, I mean, it, you can use it for all kinds of things. You know, we have the technology now. I get asked a lot by journalists especially, you know, is braille obsolete? And I would say, you know, by far that is the, it's the exact opposite. Braille is is at its technological, you know, eminence right now, I think because we have refreshable braille devices that are actually becoming affordable. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the one of the barriers in the last 20 years has been that the braille devices were were too expensive and people couldn't afford them. They cost basically about you know a, a 40 cell braille display would cost you five to eight thousand dollars. And people you know just weren't able to spend that kind of money on a device for reading. Um, now you can get a really good braille display for five hundred dollars or less.
0: People will people will hand me a, pre, a PowerPoint presentation in a meeting. They'll be like, uh, they'll be like, "Do you need any help seeing or reading this?" I'll just be like, "I fake it good."
1: Yeah. <laughs> I always tell them you were supposed to send that to me before the meeting, right? Yeah, yeah. They
0: <laughs> yeah. they know. They, I, I just admit that if they'd sent it to me before, I would have been too lazy to read it.
1: Coming up. It's a little bit R-rated. Put my hand on. Whose leg did Kim squeeze? And I turned and I said, good luck. And he said, I'm
0: Tom Harkin. So you're saying this is not an X-rated story, but it is kind of R-rated so we've talked a lot about blindness and blindness related things, which is understandable since we're we're both blind and you work in the field and so forth but i don 't know tell me about other things that are interesting in your life do you, do you have hobbies that you're super into uh, are there are there other things are there things you do that people are surprised you do even though you 're blind uh, you know any anything uh, you want to talk about
1: well I guess the the hobby that I do still sort of touches into some advocacy work, but i I love um, of course I love reading that's a that's a given but mm-hmm. um I love um the theater live theater so mm-hmm. I love musical theater and live theater and um so one of my passions was audio description and making audio description available for live theater performances in the Boston area has been a passion of mine since you know the probably the last 20 years partly because it made the theater experience accessible for me, but, but Mm -hmm. I also get a lot of satisfaction out of, you know, making it accessible for others to, to come to the theater and have the great experience of going to a, to a a major Broadway play or something like that. And, and um, being able to Um, you know, understand and not miss anything because they have the audio description. So on a live theater performance, there is a human who is providing description. They're talking into a microphone that's being broadcast like a radio station, basically, out into the theater. Mm -hmm. And then it's picked up on a receiver that I, as the blind person, have in my hand. And I have a, a pair of headphones on where I can hear the describer. So the audience doesn't hear the description, only I hear the description in my headphones. Sure. And then you listen to the sound of the theater performance on stage. Lady Anne enters with a priest. Two servants carry a covered stretcher with the remains of her father-in-law. Really cool. So so this coming weekend, I'm going to see an audio described performance of Miss Saigon, and I'm really looking forward Mm -hmm. to that. So um, let me
0: ask you let me this, this is super interesting. So now I'm wondering like it feels like there could be some sensitivities here in terms of the description like it may be if you're watching a show, an important element of understanding what's going on on stage might be that a character is really, really good looking, right? Or it could be important to know that a character is like has certain racial characteristics or other kinds of things. The um, people are there sensitivities around handling these kinds of issues in uh, in the in the descriptions. And the, so forth?
1: the describers are are trained. Um, the the primary. You know mantra for them is to describe the key visual elements that will help the viewer or the attendee at the theater to follow along and know what's going on. And mm. you know what what is a sighted person getting from that? They can they can see that um, someone is African American. They can see that someone is Asian. So when it's, It's important, and I think generally it's important all the time to to convey those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. They 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 will do that, and that's considered you know culturally relevant to the description. Mm -hmm. Um, The describers will want to do that, and we found that you know a lot of the theater goers who are listening are you know, minorities as well. And they want to hear that there are actors on the stage who are minorities as as well. So they know that it's a diverse cast.
0: On TV, I noticed like you know, back when I could still see TV like in, it felt like somewhere in the 90s and early 2000s, there was a real change where it became very common for a television show to have a character who was in a wheelchair or walked with a cane or was blind without it being the point of the character. That it was just something like, whatever, this person is just a superstar surgeon who happens to, mm-hmm. you know, have uh, this this disability. Right. And and uh, maybe one episode in 30, it would be mentioned. The rest yep. of the time, it's just like, oh yeah, they got the cane. And, uh, yep. and I really, I thought that was, you know, pretty, pretty great. And I, I do think that, you know, it's easy to make fun of Hollywood for a lot of things. But I think that on these kinds of, uh, of, of issues, actually, uh, Hollywood has been, you know, obviously, behind, always behind where we might fantasize they would be, but always so far ahead of the culture. And really, I think, actually, very important in in pushing the culture in better directions. In, and, uh, and I you know,
1: think I think they are doing a better job of, of that. And, and I think millennials have had a lot to do with that, because mm-hmm. they expect to see people that they grew up with. I mean, they went to school with people with disabilities because Mm -hmm. they've grown up with, you know, the, the mainstream movement. Mm -hmm. And so they're, they're used to having people with disabilities around them now. And so, you know, they want them in their workplace. They see them in society and they have had a lot to say about, well, why don't you have people with disabilities on TV once in a while? They're here. So, so that's a part of it too, and and um, you uh, you mentioned something you know earlier, and, and here's a, 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 a an issue that's hot right now okay. um, with NFB, and I happen to agree with them on this is the uh, their um, let us play us campaign, mm. and it's it's um, targeted at Hollywood and the motion picture industry for not hiring blind actors and actresses to plot, to play blind characters Uh on television. Those there's a show on CW called in the dark. Right. Um, and it's quite a, quite a, controversial show with a young woman who's quite out there and quite, you know, normal has her life and she's blind and she gets into all kinds of trouble and has all kinds of adventures. And she's a mixed up young woman who is blind. And, you know, the blindness is just part of her. It's not the whole character. And that is a good thing. Um, But the let us play us movement is, you know, why couldn't a blind actress play that part. And
0: and you know, what's so tricky, of course, is like on the one hand, I, I support that and I think it would be great if a blind actress were playing that part. On the other hand, if um if if the choice, if the network thinks themselves, geez, if we make this show and we don't make it with a blind actress, then we're gonna get yelled at. Uh, on the other hand, we're not sure if you know using a blind actress is going to create problems in production. So therefore, let's just not make the show. And I guess you know there's sort of a, a moment where you cross over and feel like the benefits of fighting for it aren't going to cause um these folks just you know not not to be on there at all you know there was an interesting uh controversy there was a, a a a documentary made by a um uh a comedian uh of indian descent who was upset about the character of uh, of apu on the simpsons right who mm-hmm. who is you know voiced by a person you know uh, by harry shearer who is not indian in any way and um and uh you know but of course like i can say as a as like a humongous simpsons fan uh that you know know in the 90s when the simpsons was at its peak it was hugely popular my friends who were from india like were so thrilled that the character of apu existed right existed like he was an all. indian person and sure yes. of course he's Batman. a little bit of a caricature just as homer simpson and bart simpson are caricatures uh but uh at the same time i do understand uh the criticism as well and these are hard issues
1: yeah and and you know now we have audio description for television. So Mm -hmm. there's like 87 and a half hours of audio described content on the four top major networks Mm -hmm. and the five top cable providers. And that's required by the 21st century video description accessibility act. And so that's, you know, that's a, another step forward in accessibility, but you know, I've been involved with um, advocating, um, I bet you use Netflix and probably mm-hmm. watch some stuff on Netflix. I do I, I do, but you're.
0: you know what I do? I mostly watch quote unquote. Uh, the shows that are animated shows and that therefore, are, there was a funny, somebody asked Mel Brooks once about The Simpsons and he said, The Simpsons is fantastic, he said but, you know, Simpsons is basically a radio show and it's yeah. true, you can close your eyes and get, I mean, of course you're missing a bunch of brilliant yep. jokes, the animators are geniuses, but you're getting a hell of a lot out of it, and so, for example I just, uh, quote unquote, again, watch the show BoJack Horseman, I literally would just leave my phone in my pocket, you know, because mm-hmm. I wasn't going to see enough on screen to make a difference, mm-hmm. but you can, but there's so much brilliance in that show just from listening, and every once in a while. I could tell I was missing a joke, you know, but uh, by not being able to see what was happening on screen. um, And, uh, yeah, that's I you know, it hadn't even occurred to me to frankly look and see if there might be a thing with a descriptor of of, uh, what's happening on BoJack.
1: Yeah. Netflix has audio descriptions. Of course, The Simpsons has has had audio descriptions since the start. Yeah. Um, on PBS so there it's audio described huh. on the secondary audio program channel you have to find that on your I, menu I got go,
0: I got to investigate get, this cuz I love television there. and I hardly watch yeah. any anymore because of not being able to see it you know and in fact I was ribbing my daughter the other day because uh you know I I love the game of thrones books but I haven't watched the series uh because um my kids are too young for it uh or or were too young for it and um and uh, I I knew I wouldn't be able to follow it really you even having read the books I knew it was gonna be hard to figure out what was going on in a lot of scenes if I couldn't watch it with with other other people and um, and 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 then finally my daughter's old enough to watch it but she's like watching it on her iPad I'm like no you have to watch with me I waited eight years for you
1: so it's it's <laughs> it's streamed on HBO so I'm working with HBO right now for them to get audio description All right. awesome I've just I've just done some work with Hulu and Hulu is working on oh, putting their content favorite. on with audio descriptions so that's incredible Yes. You know, there's a lot out there and things are starting to happen. You know, audio description is not where captioning is. Mm-hmm. But I hope 10 years from now that we will be able to say that audio description is catching up with captioning. That's, and whatever uh, uh, we choose to watch is going to have description. That would be wonderful.
0: That is really, really exciting. That's great. Thank you for that work. And uh, by the way, I just have to say a funny thing about the the going back to the uh, portrayal of, of folks with, with disabilities is I, I had a funny experience a few years ago. My, my daughter had the book um, – uh wonder in school which uh i'm sure you're familiar with as a as a library person and um and of course what's funny is you know when i was a kid uh we had we had books of the same type you know, there's a character would come into a new setting who had a challenge right and as a result the other kids sort of didn't accept them at first but then by the end of the book the other kids come to accept them and and uh and be nice to them and, and it's a heartwarming story and But when we were kids, at least when I was a kid, the kinds of books, the kinds of challenges the kids would face would be like – they had a back brace or they wore glasses or they were Native American, right? And the problem is kids today would be like, what do you mean nobody would be mean to a kid because they have a back brace or a Native American, right? So in order to write that book in the modern world, the author of Wonder, which is a fantastic book, by the way, and probably most of the people listening to this have read that book because it's, it's, it sort of went viral. But uh, if you haven't, it's a fantastic book. But but you know, they had to give the kid a, a disability where, you know, he, he more or less doesn't have a face, right? And, and is like, you know, really difficult to look at in order to make Something so extreme that they thought, yeah, kids really might not accept this kid. And I thought, you know, this is kind of a wonderful world we live in, where if you just have a normal disability, it's just kind of assumed that everybody's going to be cool with it. You know, up to a point. Uh, obviously, there will always be bullies or whatever. But, but relatively speaking, uh, it takes it takes something pretty extreme to to get kids to um, to to mistreat them. Okay, so so I'm sorry. So so the point is that that when I asked you for your hobby, your hobby is just more work. Is that right?
1: Well, it, that's what. <laughs> That's what my husband would say. I said I get a little pleasure out of, you know, the theater and but it is more work. You're absolutely right. I, I, you know, litigation and st- settlement agreements and all that kind of stuff with streaming services, but but yeah, you know, describers and congress and Um, FCC and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of work involved, but I do love the theater and that's pretty satisfying for me. So that
0: is, that is, uh, I guess one
1: thing I was going to say to you that that it's, it's an important part of my life is um, my mobility and how I get around. And um, I'm a guide dog user Uh and I just came back two weeks ago from getting my fifth guide dog. Um, Her name is Ida Bell. And she's a female German Shepherd. She's two and a half years old. And I went to mm-hmm. the Seeing Eye in Morristown, New Jersey. Um, and that's where I've gone to get all of my dogs. And they've all mm-hmm. been great. And, you know, that's a, it's an, it's, it's a lot of work. And it obviously having a guide dog is, is a very different kind of commitment, Um if you use a, a white cane, you know you can fold it up mm-hmm. and put it in your briefcase or park it in the corner when you're done for the day, and you don't have to right. worry about it till the next morning. Um, a dog is a twenty four seven commitment. You know, three hundred and sixty five days a year, you always have yeah. to be in tune with it. Um, you know, but but for me, it's just the 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 satisfaction and the and the and the independence and the security that I feel when. Um, when I'm out and about. So today, coming back from Boston, um my Uber driver, who was a very, very good Uber driver, he let me off at a totally wrong place. Um <laughs> totally not the place that I thought he was letting me out at. So I got out of the car and I walk a little ways and I go, oh, well, we are not where I thought we were. Mm -hmm. And my dog took me up to a door and I said, nope, this isn't where we want to go. So let's backtrack and you're going to have to figure this one out because I'm not sure where we are. So Mm -hmm. I I just said, let's go. And she walked and we walked a little bit and we walked and we walked some more. And then all of a sudden I realized you're on track. And then we were at our door and I praised her and said, what a good dog, because. I didn't have a clue where I was.
0: So, all right. So we should wrap up soon, but I wanted to. So we've talked a bunch about books. And as I mentioned, I went a long period where I couldn't read books. And then I, you know, because of Bookshare, now read books a lot. And I missed out on tons of great books. And so I'm looking, I'm always looking for book recommendations. Obviously, if you have a book related to blindness, nothing wrong with that. But really, I'm looking for pure entertainment. You know, I mean, I, if you've got a book that's like, oh, my gosh, this this book will change your soul Uh, you know, sure. I'm happy to hear about that too. But mostly I like, you know, reading as a, as a break from, from my work and to do something that's just super enjoyable. And so I like to ask people a question like, what's the book that when you finish reading it, you're like, man, I can't wait till I get to read this book again. This, this book is such a, is such a pleasure. It's brought me so much joy uh, in my life. So if you've got any recommendations like that, great. If not, if you've got any recommendations of other kinds, or if you don't want to do books, you can tell me about theater things I should check out or, or television, whatever you got.
1: Well, so three books, three All books, right. three is good. So the probably the book that I have enjoyed in the the most in the last couple months that I read um, was Becoming by Michelle Obama. Uh huh. Um, I really really liked that book. Um, sh- it was narrated by her, uh huh, um, which was a joy to listen to, um, yeah. and it was just a phenomenal story. Huh. Um, I really really enjoyed it.
0: I'm I'm um, super super I'm kind of a politics junkie, but I don't um, generally too. read politicians' books because I don't know why. I generally just like imbibe my politics in in, <laughs> in short form. Although my brother makes fun of me because he he can't believe I'll read these whole long articles. He's like he's like just read the tweet. That's all you need to know. Um, <laughs> they, um, so uh, I mean, my brother reads tons of books. He's a historian, but just on the on the political side, he wants to go even shorter than I do. Um, but okay, so Michelle Obama's book. So winner, I read
1: that S- one. I'm about to start um, John Kerry's memoir Uh and I can't remember the name of it because I'm really bad when I've, when i put the book it's on my called, do
0: you screen. know who i am you know that's the famous story about <laughs> Kerry is that supposedly he's somebody who you know like people have said this about him that 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 uh you know he will actually say the thing the thing that like the 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 powerful guy on television says that you wouldn't think people would say in real life that people sometimes <laughs> say that Kerry will actually say that if he's not you know getting getting uh, the treatment that uh well, that's, he that's
1: the book i'm about to start i seem All to right. be in a political biography phase think. and then um and i'm also reading um a book called more than meets the eye. Mm -hmm. And it's by Georgina Klieg, who's a blind author. She's a professor at the UC Berkeley. Okay. And she's written a lot of, um, really intriguing, um, books on this one happens to be on art, um, art and blindness and where they converge and why blind people, you know, should or shouldn't enjoy art and what it is. And she's a, it's, she's very pro-art. I met her last week at um, an event um, at the Mosesian Center for the Arts in Watertown. Mm-hmm. She, um, she curated and jurored um, an art exhibit that they are hosting for the next three months there called Please Touch the Art, ah, which is a tactile art exhibit with 52 pieces that are all – you you are urged to touch all of them. They were. It's specifically meant for touching and interacting with the art pieces, um, and it was, it was purposely done that way. Mm-hmm. Not just for blind people, but to engage all people with the art in a new dynamic. So it's really, really interesting, um, and. So that was the third book that I was Fantastic.
0: reading. The, the, so. David, uh, write that name down there, David Brenner, yeah, would, uh, to David Brown, our producer. Because she sounds like a great podcast victim, don't you think? Don't I you think, think
1: she would be great. She yeah. was very interesting. I spent an hour talking to her and we had a great time. So Okay,
0: that's uh, so you should have just recorded it and then I could just put your conversation <laughs> up on the pod. This is my plan, pod <laughs> empire. Like I don't want to have – why should I have to do all the interviews, right? I'll make you interview people. I'll get all these different people to interview and then we'll we'll be able to put up a podcast every day instead of just every couple of weeks.
1: That sounds like a lot of work.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, a lot of work for the producer. I, that hadn't the even producer. occurred to me that the producer <laughs> does work. Good point, David. All right, fair. I'll fair let not. you guys get back to chatting. Okay. <laughs> the um, I uh, well, I'm I'm very excited because um, I just started a uh, the new book by my all-time favorite writer, who is the novelist Neil Stevenson, uh, whose work I think is just uh, uh, brilliant beyond all human comprehension. His new book is called Fall or 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 Dodge in Hell, uh, and it's a sequel to a book he wrote a few years ago um, called uh, – well, I don't know how you pronounce it. The, the book is called Read Me Except Misspelled, so that I guess it's pronounced Reemdi uh, or something, uh, which is a, a very exciting uh, thriller involving uh, hackers and Russian mafia and uh, Al-Qaeda terrorists, and wow. um, and uh, it's a just super, super entertaining sort of chase around the world as, as uh, people try to uh, – good guys try to stop bad guys and, and that sort of thing. Um, um, the sequel, uh, I believe, uh, it, from from the early going, looks like it's going to have a lot to say about issues of artificial intelligence and what happened. Like, is it possible that we're going to have the ability... To essentially upload our brains into a computer before we die, and then essentially live uh, at, live on as an artificial intelligence. And if so, you know, what are the philosophical issues raised by that? Is it really you in that computer if it thinks exactly like you and and sort of has your desires and so forth? And and uh, so I'm not far enough into the book to know exactly how that's going to play out, but that's uh, what it's what it seems like. Uh, I can I can say with confidence that basically anything uh, anything Neil Stevenson writes is uh, is going to be fantastic, and and I'm a hundred pages into this one i'm sure it'll be uh no exception his books are quite long and i have friends who won't read them because they're like ah that book's 900 pages And i'm like well if i tear it into three pieces and call it a trilogy then will you read it you know like i don't really understand like when you're done reading this book you're just going to read another book Why, why does it matter if it's long but but i guess you know there is some satisfaction that comes from kind of getting to the conclusion uh of a book so anyway so that's that's what i'm on um these days And um uh so I've got one last uh one last question for you, Kim, and then and then uh uh, the torment will end. And that question is, um, I know that I'm an inexperienced interviewer and therefore surely not a very good interviewer, and so I'm probably just not clever enough to get your very best story or stories out of you. Um and so what I like to do is just uh, uh say to people, do you have a really great story, something Funny that happened to you because of being blind. Something fascinating that happened in your life that had nothing to do with being blind. Um, you know, any anything you want to share with us that uh, that if I were smart enough, I'd have uh, I'd have elicited by uh, by less ham handed means.
1: Well, I I'll tell you my my political um, <laughs> my political um, senator story. Um, and and I think it's 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 not you know X rated or anything like that, so it can stay on the podcast. Um, so uh, oh, it must have been about 15 years ago. Um, ACB had a convention in Des Moines, Iowa, and um, Tom Harkin was um, a keynote speaker. Long-time
0: Iowa senator, yep.
1: Absolutely, and um, noted as being the father of the ADA and Mm -hmm. a very strong advocate for people with disabilities in the Senate. Um, And so he was the keynote speaker, and I was giving some kind of a report um, in the opening session, and my husband, Brian, who is the director of technology at the Carroll Center for the Blind, Um, was doing something as well and he was sitting next to me but he had to get up and go away so he said I'll be back Mm -hmm. and I was talking to the person on my left and was quite engaged in a conversation with him and someone came along and sat down and and um, pretty soon it was time for you know us to settle down and so I reached back and I I, I put my hand on my husband's thigh and I squeezed it and Mm -hmm. I turned and I said Good luck. And he said, well, thank you. <laughs> and I said, oh, and he goes, I'm Tom Harkin. Who are you? So, <laughs> so you're saying this
0: is not an X-rated story, but it is kind of R-rated.
1: It's a little bit R-rated um, because I gave Tom Harkin a nice thigh squeeze. Because nice. I wish him luck, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so... <laughs> He wanted to know who I was. And then about five years ago, before he retired from the Senate, um, Brian was testifying at a hearing and Tom was there and he went up and said hello to him. And um, and he said, yeah, I met you and my, and my wife met you in Des Moines. And he said something about she's the lady that gave your leg a squeeze. And he goes, who is she? <laughs> 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 so he remembered me, you nice. know, and, so that's my memorable moments, you know. That's awesome. well. I'll I'll I, I, I'll uh, I'll just
0: add that you know th- this thing with the the politicians and their sort of abilities on these interpersonal things. You know, it's just a, there. Are so many of them are so far off the charts in some of these interpersonal skills, and that's how they're able to have the success they do. And when, when uh, there was a guy named uh, who was the mayor of Baltimore, William William Donald Schaefer, and and, and uh, Mayor Schaefer uh, was he was in office when my aunt Lois, my my father's sister, um, uh. Uh, and her husband Lee Feldstein um, were uh, in ch- were in charge of uh, their their hobby was square dancing, and they uh, were the heads of the national square dancing, um, uh, convention, which was quite enormous at the time. probably even bigger today. I think something like 50,000 people came yeah. to Baltimore for this convention. And, uh, so they had to, you know, that's a big convention. They had to interact a bunch with, uh, the mayor's office and the mayor himself came out to greet the crowd and everything. Cause that's a big enough convention that, that the mayor's going to show up and, and say hi. And, um, like 17 years later, uh, he was the governor, Uh, Of uh, When he was the governor of Maryland uh, or maybe retired as governor by that point, Uh, my aunt was uh, at some kind of thing and saw him and she, she walked over and he looks at her and he says, Lois Feldstein, Baltimore Square Dancing National Convention 1988. How's Lee?
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh.
0: And it was like, well, all right. I guess that's how you get to be a mayor and a governor. <laughs> you
1: remember everybody. That's amazing. So,
0: so listen, Kim, thank you so much. This was really fantastic. I learned a ton, and it was just also just a huge pleasure to uh, talk to you. And please uh, keep fighting the good fight because um, it's just making a difference in my life and in the lives of so many people that uh, you make all this knowledge and information accessible to, to all of us. So thank you from, from all of us.
1: Well, thank you. And if anybody wants to email me or anything like that, it's easy to do. You can just email me at kim.charlson that's K-I-M dot C-H-A-R-L-S-O-N at Perkins, P-E-R-K-I-N-S dot O-R-G. And phone number, 617-972-7240 if anyone wants to reach out. Thank you, Randy.
0: All right. Thank you, Kim. You're listening to the Dangerous Vision Podcast, a production of the Massachusetts Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired.